Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Hey there, listeners of the Flying Free Podcast. Before we get started on this episode, I want to tell you about something that I can't wait to do with you at the end of this month of March 2021. I've decided to throw a five-day lifeline to anyone who needs it. And this lifeline is going to consist of one hour every day for five days. We're going to do it at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. And you'll be able to jump on a Zoom call with me. And I'm going to do some teaching and answer your questions and even bring some of you guys on for some live coaching. So this five-day lifeline is for Christian women who wonder if they are in an emotionally abusive relationship and they're not sure what to do about it. Do you want to hear what we're going to talk about? On day one, Monday, March 29th, we're going to talk about confusion and how we can't make sense of what's going on in our marriages. On Tuesday, March 30th, we're going to talk about loneliness and how we feel so alone. We're married and yet we feel like we're all by ourselves. On Wednesday, March 31st, we're going to talk about inadequacy and how we often feel like we just can't ever measure up no matter how hard we try. On Thursday, April 1st, we're going to try we're going to be talking about how we try to get them to change. Why don't they just change for crying out loud? What's the big deal? And on Friday, April 2nd, we're going to talk about helplessness and how we always feel like we have to ask for permission for things. Someone needs to rescue us. So this five-day lifeline workshop is going to cost $19. If you can't come to all of the live sessions, you'll have access to the replays through the end of April. Um, If you're interested, you can either go to the show notes for this episode, and we'll have a link there, or you can go directly to flyingfreesisterhood.com forward slash lifeline. And you can read more about it. I've got more details on that page and you can sign up there. Okay, so that's flyingfreesisterhood.com forward slash lifeline. Now, if you're already part of the Flying Free Sisterhood program, you're going to be getting all of these replays in our membership area as part of your membership. So unless you really want to register for this, you really don't need to because you're going to get all of it anyways. This is mainly for listeners of the Flying Free podcast who need some extra help right now and for whatever reason they're not able to be part of the Flying Free um, program. Now, the Flying Free program only opens up every six months, and it is opening up at the end of March. It opens up March 25th. And so um, what I've decided to do is that if you come to this workshop, if you register for this workshop, it's $19, you'll actually get a coupon code to take $19 off your first month of the Flying Free program. So um, it's $29 a month, and that would mean that your first month would cost $10. And it would be a great way for some of you who have kind of been on the fence or wondering if you really want to try it or not. This would be a great way to just jump in and try it and see what it's all about. It's awesome. I think you're going to love it. It's life-changing. And I really would, I would love as many of you as possible to be part of it. So, but... It's okay. If you just come to this workshop, you're going to get so much out of this workshop. And you don't have to join Flying Free just because you come to this workshop. It's going to be, it's going to be worth way more than $19 for what it's going to do for you. It's going to jumpstart a lot of brand new things in your life. So I encourage you to sign up. And then um, 
And, it, and then if you want to, you can certainly join Flying Free. Flying Free is going to be open again from uh, March 25th to April 2nd. So put that on your calendar if you've been waiting for a while for that to open back up again. And I think that's it. Let's, let's get into this episode. Welcome to episode 109 of the Flying Free podcast. Today I'm going to be answering two listener questions. So let's dive in. Hi, Natalie. I wanted to know how you worked through not blaming yourself or taking on the blame of your ex-husband, as well as how did you work through or what are some of the keys or tools that you worked through with not taking all of the responsibility on your shoulders of what happened in the marriage through separation and divorce and even current um, in current circumstances with your ex-husband? I think this is a great question to launch a discussion about boundaries. What is yours and what is mine? I see a lot of confusion in Christian survivor circles about this because I think that as there is a growing awareness of how survivors took too much responsibility meaning that they took responsibility for their marriage, their husband's emotions, the behavior of their kids, whether or not the in-laws were happy, the management of the home, the care and feeding and happiness of all the millions of humans around them, and on and on it went. They took responsibility for all of those things, and then they realized that it wasn't all theirs to take. So many of them, having been traumatized and taken advantage of for so long, they throw off that responsibility, which is good, but they also throw off some of the responsibility that actually does belong to them. And mainly, I'm talking about the responsibility that they have for themselves. I see a lot of survivors expecting that other, expecting or hoping, I guess I should say, that other people would step up and rescue them. So they see this damage that's been done to them and they are exhausted. They're often angry, and rightly so. But sometimes they may overcorrect the problem to their detriment. So instead of taking back their personal power and letting go of the responsibility only for others, they give up all the responsibility, and then they feel disappointment and abandonment when nobody steps in to pick them up. And I get it. I mean, for crying out loud, you've been giving and giving and giving and giving for decades. Isn't it about time to get a little in return? I remember when my church excommunicated me for divorcing my ex, one of the things that really caused me deep frustration was the fact that I had spent my entire life, literally from the time I was a child, serving in church ministries. The same women that I had driven, you know, picked them up and drove them to Bible studies and hosted Bible studies for them in my own home, donated money to, babysat their kids in the nursery, took them meals. Some of these very same women voted to excommunicate me instead of giving me what I desperately needed, which was help and support. I was single parenting eight kids at the time and working full time at home to make ends meet. And... Some of my kids have special needs. Nobody stepped in to help. And I, honestly, I didn't think that was right. And it, it really wasn't right. But here's the thing. It is what it is. And the fact of life is that people can't always help us 
when we need it the most. Now, some can't help because they don't want to. And some just can't help because they're overwhelmed with their own problems. Now, we can fight that reality. We can resist that and push that reality away. We can complain and freak out and hope that others will step up. But that's only going to make us feel worse. We can't control other people. And spending our energy wanting other people to do right by us is kind of a waste of our superpower. Other people get to do what they choose. That doesn't mean that we can't ask for help. Okay, we can certainly request help. But here's the thing. They can say no. And we really don't have a right to be angry about that. They aren't responsible for us. When we have this belief, they aren't meeting my needs. We feel resentful. And when we feel resentful, we fume, we spin, we might try to manipulate to get them to meet our needs. We buffer and we wait. But resentfulness really doesn't inspire or motivate us to meet our own needs. And so the result is that we don't meet our own needs. And our result proves to our brain that what it believes is true is true. Nobody's going to meet my needs. Life sucks. I'm going to die. That's literally what our brain on autopilot believes sometimes. Now, in the programs that I offer, we call our brains Myrtle. And Myrtle can be quite dramatic sometimes. We love her to pieces, but she needs some redirection. It's our job as adults to calm her down so we can actually step into our own personal power. Okay, now all of that was the background for what I'm going to say next, because I'm guessing you're wondering if I'm ever going to answer the question. So just as a reminder, the question was how not to take the blame for the failure of marriage and how to figure out what kind of responsibility is actually ours for the marriage, for the separation, for the divorce and everything that follows. If your partner was emotionally abusive and he refused to take responsibility for his behavior, then he is responsible for creating the results of that, which is, what are the results? An abusive marriage. It only takes one partner to make an abusive marriage. It takes an abuser. (laughs) The victim is not the problem. The victim doesn't cause the demise of the marriage just by virtue of her being present in the marriage or having said, I do, one day to an abuser. She's not responsible for his behavior. She's also not responsible for his happiness. She's not responsible for his emotional well-being or his healing or his comfort or his spiritual growth. She is not responsible for what her church leaders believe is true or not true. She is not responsible for the rules in her church or what her friends and family choose to make her divorce mean for them. All of the thoughts and ideas and beliefs and feelings and behavior of all the other human beings belongs to all those other human beings. The results they get in their own lives because of their own choices also belong to them. She has nothing to do with that. She's only responsible for her own thoughts, beliefs, emotions, feelings, behavior, and the results those things bring her. Now, people really struggle with this. In general, people are pretty much all up in everyone else's business. And Christians tend to think it's their God-given duty. So they put a little spiritual spin on their meddling. So what do we do about this? How should we think about this? I think we need to get really good at letting go. 
we let go of all the external stuff, all the stuff outside of ourselves that we can't control anyway. We let go of what other people think about us. Can't control that. We let go of making them happy. Why do we want them to be happy in the first place? When you think about it, we kind of want them to be happy so that we will be happy. If they're happy, then we're happy. So we manipulate things to ensure that they will be happy, sometimes at our expense. And then we resent it anyway, right? That's kind of like our neighbor complaining about her rose garden that needs weeding. And she whines and complains all the live long day until you finally go over there and weed it for her. Now she's happy, but you are annoyed. And now she starts complaining about how her kitchen needs to be cleaned and insinuating that it's your fault it's dirty. And aren't you going to do something about it? Okay, do you get the analogy here? Other people like you to come over and take care of their house and yard. But that's not your job. And also, other people want to come over into your house and yard to rearrange the furniture the way they like it. And that's not their job. Everyone needs to stay in their own house and yard. And then we can get together with invitations and have fun while leaving the responsibility to each person. And that, my friends, is how you don't take responsibility for the demise of the marriage, for the separation, for the divorce, and all the crap that follows, especially when it comes to custody and all of that drama. You get really good at taking your own responsibility and letting go of theirs. So when the church says that it's your job to save the marriage by having better sex, you just give a little chuckle at the emotional childishness of that statement and you walk away. It's adorable that they think that, but you don't have to think that. You know that great sex takes two involved lovers that are safe with each other, not one. When your husband says you ruined the marriage by filing for divorce, you can let him have his fascinating beliefs. He isn't going to change his mind because you have an argument with him, so why waste your breath? You know that you filed because he was a naughty man, and after two decades you realized he wouldn't stop being naughty. He can totally be naughty. It's his life. He's an adult, and he gets to be an asshole if he wants to be. But you're not the gal who lives with a naughty man, so you filed. End of story. He's responsible for being abusive, and you are responsible for your choice to not be with that guy. When your church says that you can't be a member there anymore because you broke the member rules, guess what? If you signed a paper saying that you would keep their stupid rules, and I did this, then they actually have every right to play their kindergarten game by their rules and kick you out. They really do. They are responsible for their own club rules, and you are responsible for making the badass choice to break their game rules because for you, so much more was at stake. Their little game was no longer important to you. You grew up, and that's okay. But take responsibility for growing up. It feels really good. Now, I know many survivors look back on the marriage and wonder what they could have done different. I've done that. I certainly didn't do everything perfect. Who does? Not even the nicest, sweetest gem of a person does everything perfect or even close to perfect. Marriage is about two humans living together and building a life together. And that takes some work. 
but it's totally doable when you have two people who simply take responsibility for their own house and yard, for their own behavior. I can look back and say that when I messed up, I always admitted it and said I was sorry. The issue was when my ex messed up, he didn't admit it or say he was sorry. Instead, he made his bad behavior about me somehow. And that is not a victim's responsibility ever. Snapping, being too loud when you come to bed, leaving your socks on the floor, forgetting to get the right food at the grocery store, parking the car wrong, making mistakes. All of these are normal human things that are easily remedied with a simple, I'm sorry, I need to work on that. Or I bet you needed to sleep and here I made that difficult for you. I'm so sorry, I'll do better. And most survivors are that kind of people. Most abusers are not. They would rather have a root canal than say they are sorry for anything. They cannot be wrong or do wrong or feel wrong or say wrong. But I'm telling you, something is wrong with their programming. And it isn't your job to fix it. Nor can you. Contrary to the belief of many people who still believe that we are responsible for the houses and yards of other adults. Okay, let's listen to the second question. My husband and I have been married for 15 years. We have a two and a half year old, almost three year old daughter. So we were married for 12 years before we had our first child, our only child. And I had always dreamed of being able to quit my job and be a stay at home mom. And thankfully I've been able to do that. And so for the last, you know, two and a half, almost three years, it's just been me and my baby at home bonding and having that time together. And, you know, it's been so precious to me. And it has taken having a child of my own to really see and realize that I am in an abusive marriage and I am getting to the place where I do want to get out. But honestly, the part that scares me the most and the part that I dread the most is just knowing that if I do, I will probably have to go back to work. And what will I do with my daughter? Will I have to put her in a daycare center? Um, you know, we won't have this time together that we're used to and not to mention joint custody where I don't get to be with her all the time. I mean, we're hardly ever apart now. And so I think that would kill me more than anything. So I guess my question is, what advice would you have for someone in my situation with a small child who doesn't really want to give up being a stay at home mom, but I know that I need to do something for my health and for the health of my child and our home environment. First of all, I want you to know that I hear you. You are crazy in love with that little girl. She's yours. She's vulnerable. She's really young. She needs you. And frankly, you need her too. There is an emotional and hormonal bond that's like super glue. The thought of tearing that bond apart is going to bring a feeling of deep sorrow and loss. It probably feels like you've lost control of all that is good and right. And now you and your child are going to suffer. First of all, you need to know that it is true that you don't have control over your husband and what he does or over the external circumstances of your life. And I want to talk to other moms out there who maybe have older kids and you've been 
for example, home educating them their whole lives. And this is kind of the same thing. They're, these are kids who are in your life every day. You love them. You love their presence. It's hard to let go of your dreams. And it's even harder to let go of your kids. You know that if you decide to file for divorce, you're probably going to have to let go of both. Or at least it's certainly going to feel that way for a while. You do have a choice though. All right. You need to tell your brain that so that, you know, so that it doesn't feel like you're in a corner. You, you do have a choice. You can stay in the marriage and work on boundaries. You can work on completing the stress cycle. You can work on mind management. It is an option. And you, you need to know that you have that option. You have another option. And that is to get out of the marriage and chart a new course on unfamiliar ground. That's very uncomfortable for our brains. We, our brains do not like change. They don't like to chart new courses. They want to keep the same synapses that they've, that they've been experiencing their whole lives. And believe me, I understand that neither of these options is amazing. They're both full of massive amounts of pain, loss, and stress. These two choices are the choices of the woman who is married to an abuser. It's one of the many, many reasons that abuse is so tragic and life-altering. And if you're listening to this episode and you're single and contemplating marrying someone who exhibits signs of being an emotional abuser, then just be aware that one day on your journey, you too will come to this same crossroads and both choices will gape at you. When I faced this dark place, the only way that I could find a way to choose was to actually go down each road a little ways in my imagination so I could kind of see where each road might lead me and my children. And I wrote down what each road would be like. And I lived it in my imagination. And then I made my choice and I started walking. And five years later, I can tell you that I am where I thought I would be five years ago. And I'm much further I've experienced what I imagined and so much more. I drank deeply from the horrors of that journey, but I also drank deeply from the beauties of that journey, and I have no regrets. But my life is only mine to live, and I can't live yours. You are the one with skin in this game. You are the one who knows your husband and what he's capable of. You are the one who knows what your daughter needs both now and 10 years from now. Your brain might be telling you that you don't know because not knowing feels safer for your brain. But you as an adult woman do know. The adult you knows. You know the timing. You know a lot of what is around the bend. We just don't always want to look at it, right? If I were coaching you right now, I would probably ask you to question your brain's programming. I would ask you to write down all of the things that you believe about being a mom, all the things you believe about parenting, about daycare, about employment, about men and women and marriage, about responsibility, about divorce and custody, about what kids can and can't handle, about what is safe or not safe. And then I'd ask you to look at your list of beliefs and ask yourself where those beliefs came from and whether or not you want to keep all of those beliefs. And you may want to, or you may look at some of them and say, you know, I kind of want to change some of these beliefs. 
I thought my kids needed to be homeschooled. And I homeschooled for 20 years. And it was good for one of my kids. In fact, it was the perfect choice for him. But as it turned out, it was a horrible and actually destructive choice for two of my other kids. And it was kind of a neutral to slightly negative choice for some of the others. You guys, I had an education degree. I love teaching and I loved homeschooling most of the time. But I didn't know then what I know now about what my kids needed. I had a lot of strong beliefs that I refused to question until questioning them became necessary. Hindsight is always 2020, right? Here's my point. You can't know either. None of us can, but maybe, maybe we can hold our beliefs a little more loosely so that we don't miss opportunities to learn new ideas and try new things. I do that now, and it is greatly beneficial to my younger kids that I do. My older kids have seen me pivot, and I think some of them respect me for that. And some of them might judge me a little bit for that. I, I, you know, I raised them in a Pharisaical environment, so I can't be surprised if they pick up some Pharisee fleas, right? So back to your question of advice. I really can't tell you what decision to make, but I can tell you this. Don't make any moves until you know for sure it's what you want to do and that you have really good reasons that you really love for doing it. And finally, make sure that you have your own back in doing it, no matter what happens. Okay. Now I have two programs for Christian women. One is for women who are either wondering if they're in an abusive marriage or not, or maybe they know, and they just want to learn more about who they are and how to get their power back. Or maybe they're separated or going through a divorce and they need support. That program is called Flying Free, and it's helped hundreds of women find hope and healing. I also have a new program for Christian women who are divorced called Flying Higher. And this program focuses not on healing, but on rebuilding our lives in seven key areas. In our relationships, our finances, our careers, our mission, our environment, our faith, our emotional health, and our physical health. And each of these programs opens up every six months. You can get on the waiting lists by going to joinflyingfree.com or joinflyinghire.com. I always offer women on the waiting list a few perks just for getting on that list. And of course, if you're on the list, I'll send you an email when that particular group opens up. So don't miss out. And that's all I have for you today. If this program is helpful for you, would you do me a huge favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review? Your rating and review will encourage my socks right off my feet, but it will also encourage Apple Podcasts to show this podcast to more Christian women who need to hear what it offers. And in this way, you can actually help others fly free as well. And speaking of flying free, until next time, I hope you'll do exactly that. Fly free.